All right. Um, today is actually the second week of our new series. And uh, so today is, um, we normally like to mix in discussion with me talking and then discussion, me talking some more. And so um, today is no different than that. We're going to, um, I've got some discussion sheets here for my leaders. So if you're a intern, volunteer, or just a bold student that wants to come help lead a discussion, um, here's the questions. Come get them from me. You have to walk up here. They're on the top there. Just take one. Don't take too many. We like to utilize students as much as possible. This is an example of how we do that. Um, basically, if you're a discussion leader, your job is to kind of keep things on track. And uh, um, like I've said before, usually if I hear, like, boisterous laughter at the tables, I know you've, like, you're, you're done talking about the actual subject, you know. So we don't discourage laughter. It's just that, you know. Um, sometimes we just want to move on to the next thing. Um, so today, I am so looking forward to this series, and especially today. I've been chomping at the bit all summer to discuss this stuff with you guys. Um, but basically, this series is titled, Why We Don't Believe. Now, you might think, okay, is Dave saying that, um, is he talking about himself? Is he talking about, who's he talking about when he says that? I'm talking about just Christians in general. Why is it that people don't believe. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Unbelievers in general, why is it that they don't believe? Right? But but secondly, there's another part to that. There are times when even Christians, like you guys, struggle with doubt and unbelief, right? And so we're going to be looking at the things that, that trip up Christians, but these things also trip up non-Christians from believing in Jesus and following Jesus. So um, here's some questions we're going to look at in the next few weeks. Uh, these are questions that people have that keep people from belief. These are not on the screen. Just listen. Um, there can't just be one true religion. We'll cover that one next week. How can a good God allow suffering? Christianity is a straitjacket. You know what a straitjacket is? You know what that is, right? Keeps you hemmed in. Christianity is restrictive. The church has committed so much injustice. How can Jesus be real when the church has committed so much injustice? How can God send someone to hell? Science, everyone knows that science has disproved Christianity. You can't take the Bible literally. That will be the next seven or eight weeks, just those questions I mentioned to you just now. Now, I want to tell you why, more specifically, we're doing this series. I mentioned to you that, that unbelief is often alive outside the church, but unbelief is also very much alive inside the church. I've been a pastor here at TBC for six years, and I've been doing this thing with high school students for over ten years. And, and I'm, not, I'm not dumb. I, I know that, that there are many people in this church, and possibly even in this room, that you're here on Sunday morning, and that's, that's great, I'm glad you're here. But, just because you're here, doesn't mean you're really a believer in Christ. Just because you're here, doesn't mean you're really a follower of Christ. And so unbelief is, it's some, I think, on some level, just as much alive inside the church as it is outside the church. So we're doing this series because unbelief is alive inside the church. Second reason why we're doing this series. I think that, that being honest about your doubts can lead to a greater faith. I'll explain what I mean by that. How many of you have heard a story of someone who was, uh, they're married now, 
but they were describing to you their, their life before that, and they actually broke up before they actually got married. You've heard stories like that before of couples. They're dating in high school or college, and they break up, and then they get back together, they get married, right? Um, my wife and I are examples of that. Uh, we broke up for four months in uh, about eight months into our relationship. We broke up for four months, didn't talk to her, see her for four months, got back together because she couldn't resist, you know, and, uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, and, uh, and we're married now, of course, but um, let me tell you something, that, that going through that season of doubt in our relationship has made us stronger as a husband and wife. Because there was a time where we were questioning, like, is this the right person? And she was asking, is this the right person? And we broke up, but they got back together, and it was like, now we know. Now we know. Now I'm not suggesting that you break up with God, okay? I'm not saying that you need to break up with God to see if He's real, and then come back to Him. I'm just saying that when you are honest about your doubts, that there's, there's a, a deal that you go through when you do that, when you're that honest, you come out with, I think, a greater faith. Now, here's the risk, though. Some people don't. Some people, because their questions aren't answered, they don't feel like they got the right answers, the answers they want for their questions, they're the ones that say, you know what? I doubted, and now I don't believe. And they reject their faith. And, and I understand that this series is risky because some of you might decide to do that. After we discuss these hard things... Some of you guys might decide, you know what, I can't accept that, and I don't believe. I would much rather have you be confronted with that now than four years from now in college. Because I want to love you, through, I want to help you through that. I want to shepherd you and, and love you through your doubt. Even if you reject Jesus, we're still going to be here for you at the end of this thing. So being honest about your doubt can lead to a greater faith. I also uh, want to tell you a quick story. Um, a couple of years ago, maybe a year, year and a half ago, um, I was in my office and uh, I met with a young guy who's actually in this room right now, uh, Anthony Garcia, just over here. If you don't know Anthony, he's over here. And if you know Anthony, um, he's one of those guys that asks why about everything, okay? In a good way. I love Anthony to death. He's, he's a great guy. But he's one of those guys that he asks why. Is that not true, Anthony? You're one of those guys. <laughs> He loves to debate, loves to talk about things, and loves to get into those things. And I think um, he came to my office, and we met because he had some real doubts and uncertainties about his faith. And just had some real good questions, questions like what I just read to you a while ago. And he didn't quite know where to turn. And um, I don't just throw a book at someone and say, hey, read this book, see you later. We discussed lots of things in that meeting. But I did say, I said, Anthony, you know, there's a book I want to give you that I think can help you think through these things. And it's a book called The Reason for God by a guy named Tim Keller. And it's, it's one of those like, almost like college type books where it's real hard to read for some. But I think he's a really intelligent guy. So you can handle this thing. You can do it. He read through it. And I'll tell you what, I think after that interaction that he and I had and him reading that book and just him being reacquainted with Christ in a new way, it's like you, you really saw him just take off spiritually where the doubts were kind of more pushed aside, he took his unbelief to Jesus and gave it to him. And you've seen the results since, where he just loves to serve Christ, loves to follow Christ. He loves to lead. He's a great leader. He loves to be a part of what goes on here. 
And, and I really credit that to him being honest about his doubt, talking about it, getting through it, and giving his unbelief to Jesus and letting him take care of it. And I think what you're seeing in him now is just real spiritual growth, like real honest growth. It's great to see. And so we think that being honest about your doubt can lead to a greater faith for some of you. The third reason I would do in the series is to give you a greater love for unbelievers. How many of you guys, when you hear someone who's not a believer talk about your faith and demean your faith, you get angry, right? You get angry. That's how I feel. And so we're trying to get you guys to understand that although we're going to arm you with some good information, that the reaction shouldn't be, okay, let me just get my arsenal of information out and uh, launch you know, these intellectual bombs into their little party. I mean, that's not what we're trying to do here, okay? We want you to have good information, be able to defend your faith, but also love people well. Respect them well. This whole thing should lead to a greater love for unbelievers. Now, with that in mind, um, I do want you to watch this clip. We're going to play here in a second. Um, you can hit those little four arrows on the bottom there. It'll make it the screen big. Um, don't play it just yet, but we're going to watch this clip. This is actually a clip of a guy named Bill Maher who made a documentary that mocks Christians. And his, his documentary is called Religious. He merged religion and ridiculous together. That's the name of his documentary called Religious. And uh, he just doesn't like Christians. He doesn't like you guys. And this is him. Um, this is him talking about his movie to a guy on the to the early show, Today Show, whatever it is. Let's go ahead and play this video. Bill Maher, host of Real Time with Bill Maher, is tackling an often taboo subject, organized religion, this time in his new movie, Religious. Who are you, Bill Berkeley? I'm Jesus Christ man, the second coming of Christ. I am. Yes. Not just because uh, you share the name Jesus. No, 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 because... Because you also share the name Miranda, maybe right. a common Miranda. Yeah. Maybe the second coming of her, you should have fruit on your head. <laughs> Instead of fruit in your head. <laughs> And Bill Maher was with us this morning. Where did you find that guy? We found that guy in Miami, where he uh, preaches. He, he claims to have thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. He probably does. Yeah. I mean, he, he proves that it's just way too easy to start a religion. There you go. Um, I, think, well, I wanted to talk about your background first. Sure. Right? Because your mother was Jewish, your father was Catholic. Yeah. You were raised Catholic? Yes. Until 13 years old? Well, yes. That's about when my father quit. You know, I did uh, an interview with my mother and my sister it is in the movie mm-hmm. my mother gets me my first laughs and it was great to see it finally in front of an audience yeah. in the theater and uh, uh, yeah there she is <laughs> she didn't want to do it she was 88 years old right and uh, but she did it for me and I wanted to ask her on camera I had never asked her these questions sure. which was how come I didn't find out till I was 13 that I was half Jewish they never said anything to me 
My sister, my father, and I went to church every Sunday, uh-huh. and catechism, the kids went, and sure. my mother never went, and I never, you know, when something is a routine from the time you're an right. infant, you don't question it. Right. So I wanted to ask my mother that. I also wanted to ask her, why did you stop going? Why did Dad stop going to church at 13? And she blew me away with the answer, which was that the church <laughs> outlawed birth control. Right. And of course, I thought, well, my parents had sex twice, like every parent, you know, for my sister and me. Why would that be a <laughs> something that would involve them? Uh, so it was interesting, and she really kicks off the movie and yeah. sets it in, a, in a, a setting, in a place where people can relate to it, sure. even though I had a kind of a weird upbringing. Mm-hmm. You know, and she says, you know, every family is dysfunctional. And there were, therein lies these seeds of doubt, mm-hmm. which, which is really your motivation in this entire movie. You're just trying to... Well, my motivation is to make people laugh. I mean, religion, to me, is a giant elephant in the room of comic gold because, you know, we're talking about a garden with a talking snake. If you can't find humor there, people are just used to it. Yeah. That's why they don't laugh at it. So it's a very funny movie. It's a comedy. It's not really a documentary. But yes, I also think there's an important point to be made, and that does have to do with doubt. Right. Uh, I, I don't like the word atheist because to me it mirrors the uh, certainty of religion. I preach the gospel of I don't know. Yeah. And I think, you know, people have had so many religious movies. They've had the Passion of the Christ, and they've had the robe and the Ten Commandments. Isn't there time for one, for the tens of millions of people who are rationalists, who think like I do, and who are afraid that the Sarah Palins of the world are going to be taking over? We've had eight years of George Bush and a faith-based administration. Here's we can't afford another. Here's the thing. that There was an underlying thought, and this a serious thought, I thought, in the movie was you wish that Christians were more, if they were really going to be Christians, would be more Christ-like. Don't we all? I think everybody, I mean, that's something I don't think is even controversial. That the message of Jesus, which is very good, it's about love and, you know, forgiveness. It's certainly not about shooting wolves from an airplane. (laughs) Uh, That (laughs) gets lost with all the nonsense and the bells and whistles. There you go. Delmar, thank you so much. Religious is the religious. There you go. Hard work. There it is. All right. I love how uh, when atheists say that Jesus' message is all about just love, and I'm going, he said a little bit more than that. That's just me, you know. Um, your first few questions at your tables. Uh, let's do questions one through three. Uh, here's the questions. I'm going to say these because we're actually recording this whole series. It's going to be on a podcast for you guys to listen to later on if you would like to. So I'm reading this for the podcast, people, okay? Uh, what emotions do you feel after watching this? Uh, number two, in our world today, do you think skepticism is on the rise or is faith on the rise? And thirdly, what evidence have you seen to support your answer? So go ahead and discuss. Okay, just a, a quick survey. Raise your hands. Uh, raise your hand if you think that skepticism is on the rise. Raise your hand if you think that faith is on the rise. Raise your hand. A few of you, a couple of you, one of you. <laughs> um, yeah, who said both? You think both is on the rise? That is so 
interesting that you say that because um, the book I just described to you, he actually talks about that very thing. He says that both are actually on the rise, and he gives evidence to support this. Now, um, it might seem like, because most Christians, if you watch some guys like that, you get all mad and angry, and you say things like, they're taking over the world. And, but guys like him look at you and say, they're taking over the world, okay? So both sides think the other is just growing and growing, and their side is shrinking, and everyone's screaming for their voice to be heard. But in the book that I've kind of going through here, he talks about how that both are on the rise. And so as both increase... They become these two different poles that are just angry at each other. And that's what we've got now. You see it on TV all the time. Films like this all the time. So both are on the rise. One in three adults in the U.S. are not churched. That number is rising. Uh, The number of adults that answer no religious preference on polls is increasing. But at the same time that all that's going on, There are churches in America that are growing in the least likely of all places. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, The guy that wrote the book that I'm describing to you, Tim Keller, is actually a pastor in Manhattan. Okay? Downtown New York, he's a pastor. About 5,000 people go to his church weekly. Great teacher of the word. He is um, very orthodox in what he believes and teaches. He is someone that teaches what basically what you and I believe. You would think that someone in New York City would have to, like, dumb down the gospel or make it, like, fit their culture. But he's the guy that screams into their culture. He doesn't really scream. He more just talks gently. But he, he talks to their culture very directly about where their idols are, how they're sinful and need, in need of a Savior. These are ideas that are very unpopular in New York City, if you haven't heard. Another place um, that I think of is a place called... Uh, Mars Hill Church in Seattle, and a guy named Mark Driscoll is a pastor up there. Um, Seattle has been known as one of the least churched areas in the country. 15, 20 years ago, it was just seen as very atheistic, very agnostic. There were very few churches that are Bible-believing, Christ-honoring churches in Seattle, Washington. Now, Mark Driscoll's church, he planted about 13 years ago, uh, has over, I think, well over 10,000 people attending at multiple site campuses throughout the area of Seattle. Um, he is as biblical as they get. Now, he will scream into the culture in Seattle, for sure. And, um, but he's a guy who God has raised up, and God is growing the church in the places that you would least imagine. The places that seem least likely, God is raising up the church. And I think it's so cool, because I think what's happening is that people are seeing what's happening when Jesus is outright rejected, It leads to all kinds of immorality. It leads to all kinds of destroyed families. It leads to all kinds of broken relationships. They're seeing that contrast and they're saying, wow, maybe there's something legit about this Jesus. Maybe I should believe in him. Maybe I should follow him. So that's what you're seeing. Now, 10 to 25% of all Philosopher, philosophy teachers in, in uh, colleges today would claim to be a Christian. That is compared to less than 1% 20 years ago. So the world is like going in two polar opposite directions. The world is like getting 
more religious and less religious at the same time. Now, for this series, I do want to focus on something very specific to you guys. I want to discuss why is it that specifically high schoolers don't believe? What is it that keeps high school students from believing? I mentioned to you the things I, I said before, the questions we laid out at the beginning of the series, but why is it that high schoolers struggle with belief? So questions four and five, uh, go ahead and discuss those for your discussion. Go ahead and discuss. I'll read these real quick. What are some specific reasons you've heard from high school students as to why they don't believe? And number five, what are some reasons why high school students leave the church? Go ahead and discuss. I wanted to uh, discuss with you three barriers to faith that I think are relevant to where you guys are at. And um, so the first one is this. The first one is intellectual. The first barrier to faith, I think, is intellectual for a lot of high school students. And it, it deals with the questions we mentioned before. You have questions, the same questions that Anthony had when he talked to me a couple years ago. The same questions that much of the world has are questions that you are struggling with. You're at the age of why. Asking why, right? You ask why about everything. Why you should pick up your clothes. You ask why about everything. So why shouldn't you ask why about the things dealing with Christianity? So the first is intellectual. You have questions that seem to go unanswered, or no one gives you good enough answers that you like, and so then you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reject this. Now, here's where I want to warn you, because this intellectual game sometimes can become just that. It can become a game. I'll describe what I mean by this. Some people will latch on to the questions that I've read to you this morning about why they don't believe, and really what's happening, if they really would wrestle honestly and really seek answers to these questions, and really honest about the answers to the questions, it would be revealed to them that what they're really doing is using the intellectual questions to mask the rebellion in their heart. And so what they're doing is they have questions like, yeah, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't know why God allows suffering. And what that question really is, is their way of saying, God, I don't have answers to this. I don't want to follow your rules also, by the way. And I'm using this intellectual question as a mask to hide the real rebellion in my heart. That's what's really going on. Now, the purpose of this series is to hopefully remove the intellectual excuses that some of you may have so that you that rebellion, if it's there, can be revealed. And you can deal with it. You can deal with it honestly with God because that's the real issue for some of you. For some of you guys, it's not, it's not the intellectual questions themselves. They're just a mask that, that hide that rebellion. That's how you're using, using it as a shield. Okay? And so that's... that's Number one. The the second thing I think that you struggle with is more of a personal barrier to faith. What I mean by that is 
I hear high school students all the time say things like, I want to experience God more. Or, I want to feel God. I want to... I just feel like something's missing. And there's like this real weird, vague, personal thing that you're expecting God to do for you. And when He doesn't do that for you, like show up in a real personal way, at least in your eyes, you reject your faith. And so what you're chasing is an experience, and an emotional experience, and if you don't always get that from God, then you reject Him, right? So you want this real personal thing with God, which He does offer us a personal relationship, but it might not always look the way that you think it's supposed to look, therefore you reject Him as a result of it. The personal barrier to faith. The third is what I call social the social barrier to faith. And these are all kind of laid out in his introduction of his book. Social barrier to faith. Now, I can say it like this. The social barrier to faith, for most of you, can be summarized in this statement. Youth groups are weird places. Okay? We are. Let's just admit it. Youth groups are very strange, weird places. I've been around here for a long time, and I see it. Um, I'm weird. You know I'm weird, right? I'm a youth pastor. I'm, I'm supposed to be weird. But youth groups can be weird places, right? And let me describe what I'm, I'm talking about here. Um, for, for the girls, especially. I've never seen... I think we're, we're doing okay right now, but I'm sitting there crossing my fingers, praying, going, please, God, just let this thing keep going the way it's going. Because... I'll tell you, a couple years ago, um, there was so many, so much girl relational drama in this place that I was, I was going crazy. And I was hearing stuff, and I was having to confront things, and I was having to just deal with stuff all the time. And I'm going, how in the world are we supposed to, to have church and be a body that loves Jesus and loves each other when there's all this junk going on? And, and so relational drama, I think, is what gets the girls. And I'll say to you freshman girls right now, let me tell you something, it's coming, okay? Because you don't see it yet. Uh, every year when our freshman girls come in to our youth group, um, they're all just like one big happy family, and it's just like, oh, we all love each other, and there's flowers everywhere, and it's just, it's just great. Like, you love each other, and I love that, but then it's like about midway through freshman year, early sophomore year, it's like Satan enters, okay? And it's like, I'm like, wait, why is she not coming anymore? And like, well, I hate her now, so she's not coming. And seriously, and, and so there's all this relational drama that just enters the picture, and people just bail on the church because it's just how it works. I've seen it happen in every single class that we have here at TBC. Please don't let it happen again. I beg you. I beg, I'm praying for you, all right? Some of you girls have come back recently, which I, I think is awesome. Stay. We need you here. We need you here to set an example of unity and love for the body. Now, for the guys, the social barrier for the guys is a little bit different. I mean, guys don't tend to, like, fight and bicker as much, at least in that way. But here's what guys do. The social barrier for the guys is this. That's stupid. Church is stupid. Church is for little kids. Church is dumb. I mean, they're just so immature. I'm, I'm leaving. This is dumb. That's what guys do. Okay? And so for the guys, guys get apathetic. That's one of the guys' number one sins, apathy. Just, I don't care. Like, why would I care about that? Like, to, to, for some reason, to the guys, Jesus seems feminine. 
Maybe it's long hair. I don't know. But he's got a beard, so it's okay, you know. But, but Jesus seems feminine to the guys for some reason. And so traditionally, guys tend to just reject the whole thing because they're just like, this is dumb. It's not cool. Like, why would I go to that? And that's just, that's immature, right? So for the, for the girls, it's relational drama. For the guys, it's apathy. Those are the social barriers that, that you struggle with in really following Christ. Now, I'll tell you this. Some of you might have all the intellectual stuff sorted out. You might have the personal stuff all sorted out. But the social thing can be what gets you. If you don't really feel like you can plug in here, then you start to drift away. And here's what I see happen in every person's life that drifts away from the body of Christ. Is they start to slide toward unbelief. The Christian life and following Jesus is the kind of thing that you need continual reminders, you need people around you that are living like you're trying to live. And there's like this weird dynamic where even though this person's weak and this person's weak, somehow together they're made stronger. If one person is isolated and someone else is isolated, they're made weaker. It's weird how God uses that, that in our weaknesses together, we somehow can be stronger together. But the moment you pull out of that, you start to slide toward unbelief. I see it happen all the time. So, the passage we're going to look at real quick. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. And guys, I apologize for... We'll go a little bit long today, but you can, you can handle it. First uh, Peter 3, verse 13 to 17. Here's the, the passage. Peter is writing this. That's why it's named after him. Uh, 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, Peter is writing to a people who are being punished for their faith. They're being persecuted. They're suffering for Jesus. Now, some of you guys might suffer in life, but you, don't, you rarely will suffer in the way that they did for Jesus. What I mean by that is giving up possibly your life for the sake of the cross, for the sake of Christ. Now, verse 13 might sound like a weird statement because he says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So he says that statement. Who is there to harm you? Right? The next statement, he says, something totally opposite. He says, but even if you should suffer, right? He says, who is there to harm you if you're going to do good? But if you should suffer. He makes these two contrasting statements. Because if you know anything about church history, when he says, who is there to harm you? The answer is simple. There's plenty of people that can harm me and persecute me for my faith. Because many died for their faith in the early church. So the next statement makes it confusing. Here's what he's saying. When he says no one is there to harm you, he is saying this. That no one on this earth can ultimately harm you. 
even if they kill you. Right? No one on this earth can bring ultimate harm to you because you're in the hands of Christ, right? Even if they kill you, the worst thing that happens is that you see Jesus, right? Which sounds like, you're like, well, I want to stay here, you know? But he's saying if, if they kill you, even if they kill you, They're not, they're not really ultimately bringing harm to you. So, a couple more questions. Uh, look at question six and question seven. And we'll wrap this thing up in just a minute. Go ahead and discuss those last two questions. actually going to um, wrap up a few statements here, but I'm going to cut this short a little bit because we're out of time, but I'm going to say a few things here to finish out, and then we'll kind of continue on from, uh, this will be like a movie that we pause, okay, and you can watch the rest of it next week, um, but the, I want to cover a couple things real quick, there are, Peter says here in this passage, he says, uh, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, so he says, make a defense. Which, when we, most of us think of defense, we think of this. Right? I'm going to defend the faith. I'm going to kick your tail. Right? And so, that's what we think of when we think of defense for the most part, when we defend things. Now, the next phrase, he says, yet, with gentleness and respect. And so you're like, oh man, I can't, I can't beat people up. That's what Peter's saying. You can't beat people up with the gospel, okay? Now, here's two ways we get this wrong. We get this wrong in two ways. Here's wrong way number one. We give a defense, but no gentleness, right? We're ready to fight for our faith, but there's no gentleness. I actually watched a video recently. Um, There was a guy who was a Christian uh, being confronted by a person who wasn't a Christian. And the guy who was a Christian... It must have been some backwoods state. I'm not going to mention any states, but you can use your imagination. Some backwoods state. The guy's wearing, like, camouflage. He's like a total redneck, you know. Um, and he's being confronted by this atheist guy about his faith. And he says these very words. He's like, I think he had, like, tobacco in his mouth. He's like this. And he's like, if you mesh with my God, you're going to have to mesh with me. Okay? And I'm going, Really? That's how you expect to convince people that Jesus is Lord. Okay? So there's a defense, but there's no gentleness. Wrong way number two. There's the gentleness, but there's no defense. This is the person who says things like, you know, I don't really like getting into debates or discussions about the gospel. I just want to live my life and be a good example for people, and hopefully they'll follow Jesus. Well, there's a lot of good Buddhists out there, too. There's a lot of good Hindus out there, as well. 
So just living a good life before people isn't quite enough. So Peter's saying you've got to have gentleness and respect, but you've also got to have a defense. You've got to actually engage people about the gospel, right? That means talk about it sometimes. So I want you to know Peter's saying this whole thing, everything we're talking about has to be under the umbrella of gentleness, respect, love for the unbeliever. And my prayer is that as you wrestle with these doubts, your doubts, that you won't stop there. You'll also wrestle with the doubts of your relatives. You'll wrestle with the doubts of your friends. Because when you do that, you'll take on a new love for them that you never had before. And your faith will grow as a result of it. Um, before I pray, I'm going to have uh, Anthony come on up. He's going to announce real quick something happening at Belton High School um, that you guys should be aware of and hopefully be involved in. So this is Anthony. Give it up for Anthony. Yay. Hey, guys. Um, can, you, can I get a show of hands of how many of you guys go to Belton High School? How many of you? Oh, a good number of you. What are you guys doing on Friday mornings? Okay, I, have, I heard a majority of nothings. Okay, so basically um, at Belt High School for the past six years, they've had this thing called Friday Morning Bible Study. And this year it's come into my hands. And Mrs. Ronsleven uh, graciously helped me to uh, come up with this first series that we're going to be doing called Living It Out. And really, um, it, we focus more on like worship and like, you know, just fellowship with other Christians. But there's also like a, a ten-minute lesson that we do every Friday morning. It starts at 745 in D19. Um, so we can write that down, 745. And, you know, it's just a great place to come, you know, start your morning off and to get fellowship with the Christians. And I really want to encourage you guys. I was talking to Dave, and we're going to try to make this a TBC-based, because it's always been a certain church-based Bible study. And last year, uh, it didn't have a base, and it kind of fell apart. But um, this year, really trying to get it back on track and, you know, get uh, more students at the high school involved. So if you guys could encourage your friends to come, and if you guys could come, that would be great. Um, We're still kind of looking for a worship leader for the fall. We have one. for the uh, for spring, but Jim wasn't welcome to help out with that too. But if you could really um, let me know if you can think of someone or something like that, that would be great. But yeah, Friday mornings, D19, um, going to be a lot of fun, and we'd love to see you all there. That's it. Thanks, bud. Thanks, Anthony. All right, I'm going to pray, and you can get out of here. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving us the tools we need to um, think about our faith, talk about our faith, defend our faith, help us to also have love and gentleness and respect for those we engage in those kinds of conversations. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. We'll see you guys on Wednesday, 7 o'clock, at the Outback.